Hello, my name is Brendan Decora, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Pro Audio Profiles. Here, I'm going to interview recording engineers, mixers, producers, and others in the pro audio field. Together, we're going to learn how you can make amazing records that can give your listeners goosebumps. Welcome to the show. On today's show, I'm pleased to welcome Alex Pasco. He's a six-time Grammy Award-winning audio engineer, mixer, and producer, who's worked with artists and producers including Greg Kirsten, Adele, Beck, Foo Fighters, and Paul McCartney. I'm happy to have him on the show. Enjoy. Thank you for being here. Um, it's of course. a pleasure to talk to you. So the main focus of this podcast is, you know, how to help create magic in the studio as an engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually wanted to ask you, are you uh, engineering more lately or are you producing more lately? Um, I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, I'm moving more into production, uh, but I'm not in a place where I get to have my own engineer when I produce. That's cool. So it's the, you know, the combo. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I just, you know, I just have too many spinning plates during the session of right. trying to think about the song and making okay. sure the, the mics all sound good. But of course. Yeah, of so, course. so definitely... You know, that, that little bit of everything right now of, okay. uh, you know, tracking, producing, mixing. Yeah, no, no problem. I just wanted to, you know, figure out how to tailor my questions mm-hmm. a little bit. But um, yeah. so I guess, you know, it's like I said, we're, I just want to go over how to help create magic for the artist, you know, how to inspire them, how to, you know, make it easy for them. I mean, a lot of it is in the preparation, of course. Can you walk us right. through your process for preparing an artist for this for the session? Um, preparing for a session or pre- preparing the artist for a session? Or I both? would say any of the above. Well, <laughs> let's start with the artist first. And please forgive me if you hear some noises in the background. My cats <laughs> are going crazy at the moment. I got a kitten a little while ago, and she's still very much a kitten. She's currently... Climbing the curtains. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I guess uh, a lot of my sessions are either writing songs in the session and, and just spur the moment creativity, um, or we're going in with an established song um, that, you know, with, with a, okay, here's the song. This is, you know, our end goal by the end of today is to have this song uh, recorded. Um, So if it's a songwriting session, it's figuring out, okay, well, what's the vibe of what we're going for? What instruments do we need to have available? And of those instruments, what do we need to have just ready to pick up? You know, uh, all my sessions, I really try to... You know, if if we're going to have drums, bass, keyboards... Uh, an organ, percussion, uh, vocals, and, uh, you know, I don't know what else, uh, uh, a piano. I don't want to go into the session and just say, okay, well, the drums and the vocal mic are set up and anything else that we want to record, we we can kind of set up as we go. Right. Um, you know, I want, like, if I'm going in for a songwriting session, I, or, or any session for that matter, right. um, 
I don't want to be setting anything up during the session unless right. it's, you know, the, the artist says, hey, you know what we need to do? Why don't we try this crazy idea? In which case, I, I quickly turn to my assistant and say, hey, what mics do you have available? Okay, grab this, this, and this. Set it up while we work out what we're going to do. So hopefully by the time the artist steps into the, the live room to record, everything's ready to go. Um, right. It's always awkward long, to have, you know them waiting for anything and that kills the momentum kills the inspiration everything else so right it's absolutely it's all about preparation yeah so just i mean it's 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 funny that as an engineer i my 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 whole goal as an engineer is to make the engineering uh, invisible almost you know right because the artist isn't there to think about the microphones or the preamps or the cabling or anything like that all of that is an end, a means to a means to an end, which is the song. Right. So trying to keep the engineering out of the way of of the the song and recording process. And I'm sure we've both been on sessions where the artist does, you know, have an interest in engineering and tries to, you know, get into that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. honestly, it, or interject with or why? Interject. Why don't we use this mic instead of that right. mic? And, and it, it not only makes our job more difficult, but it slows down their creative process and everything else. So yeah, well, and whenever that does happen, like you know, I, I had a guitar player once bring in a um, I don't even remember what it was. I, it was like a Bayer M sixty or you yeah, know the M sixty nine, the little yeah. short. Uh-huh. Um, not the rib, the dynamic though, like the oh, okay. the the one that's got that real tight polar pattern. I think like oh, okay. Dimebag sang into it or something like that. But anyways, right. he brought it in and was like, "This is the guitar mic. Can can we set this up?" And you know, we had like you know uh, a U sixty seven, you know old Unidyne, mm-hmm. and like you know a, a RCA ribbon. That's like that's a pretty good setup, right? Um, but rather than fight it, like. Sure. Yeah. Plug it in. Let's put it up. You right. know, like there's they're microphones. They all sound good. Even right. the bad ones sound good. Right. You know, they're all they're all flavors. So and that's actually a good um, point, you know. too, because, you know, it's it's as an engineer, a lot of it is about being, you know, agreeable and making sure things go smoothly. And, you know, if they want to try something crazy, sure, let's try it. You know, no problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's, I mean, that's the fun of the process. Half the time for me is like, I feel like half the time I'm trying to get the artist to like, let's try this crazy idea, right? you know, or like, let's set everyone up live and, and do it all together. You know, no, let's just do it one at a time. You know, then we can focus in it's like, yeah, but like, you know, right. I'm, I, I'm always right. trying stupid stuff too. So, you know, half the time it doesn't work, but. That's honestly another uh, point I wanted to touch on is, you know, obviously it depends on the artist, but whether you do everything live or do it with overdubs, like it's very much dependent on the project and the artist. But is there any mm-hmm. preferences that you have or any sort of, you know, any tidbits you could offer about those? Well, I I feel like I am always one to love the the big tracking session where it is everyone live on the floor right letting it all go down at once just because i i love i like when i first started uh 
recording or not recording when I, when I first started, I guess my professional career, I was a front of house engineer for oh, six, really? seven years. Okay. And, um, yeah, I, well, it, like I, I had, <laughs> yeah, well, so I had gone into recording school and did all that. And I graduated in 06, just as like, you know, all of the major studios were closing Right. So I interned at El Dorado out in Burbank just as it closed. Okay. And like when I first met the engineer, he was like, what are you, why are you trying to get into this field? Like, good luck. There's no jobs out <laughs> oh, there, geez. man. And I'm like, oh, what a great, great to choose this one. <laughs> um, and I, I ended up, uh, my friend's band was just getting signed and they needed a, a front of house guy. And so I went on the road with them and, you know, did the whole front of house thing, always wanting to be studio guy. Yeah. Um, It just kind of wasn't in the cards at that point. Right. And then I finally worked my way into like getting off the road, which don't get me wrong. Going on the road was probably the most fun I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Um, And it taught me a lot that helps me in the studio because it is that like you know, in the middle of a live show, if a mic breaks, you can't, okay, we're going to go get a different mic and put it up. Like that mic's down. It's not coming back. So how can we make this show happen? Right. That way. So anyway, so, so I think that kind of informs my love of, uh, the live take. Um, but it's not always the right thing for every instance. And I do find like, I, I just did a live, uh, well, I, I was doing a session last month where all the songs we were piecing together. And then one of them, for some reason, the guitar player said, hey, I, you know, my part's real easy. I'm going to play it live with the drums. And the bass player said, oh, you're going to do it? Okay, I'll, I'll do mine too. And then the keyboard player hopped in. So it was like, okay, well, we've been right. doing it piecemeal this whole time, but this song, we're going to go for it. And it was cool. The track was good, but we still ended up piecing it together. Overdubbing later, just cause yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like we we did it live. All we kept was the guitar and the drums, because as the guitar player said, his part was easy, so right. he got it instantly. <laughs> um, the bass, it was you know, there's it's one of those like there was just too many things going on at once, and you can't focus on all of them as much as you need to. Right, right. So that's the piecing it together. Not only does it allow the player to focus more, but it allows the engineer to focus and like, you know, get the, get the, uh, for me, it was that, you know, I just didn't have the compression right on the bass, you know? Okay. So it was like, I heard it and was like, well, this is good, but man, if, if we just went back and did it again, like we could nail it in one take. Right. Right. And we went, got the, got the preamp set a little hotter and the compression a little faster, I think, you know, and it, yeah. it just came together. Right. Um, that's actually, I mean, I want to touch back on the live sound thing because it's so rare nowadays that people have experience in both, you know, it's like a lot of, honestly, I've gotten asked a number of times by artists if I could do their front of house and I, that's not my, that's not my world. So, you know, totally different world. It's totally different. (laughs) And I'm sure that, you know, one of like, as an engineer, I feel like one of the last skills I really acquired was, being really good at troubleshooting and mm-hmm. i'm sure live sound that's probably one of the first things you have to learn you know absolutely yeah <laughs> or like what what my wife likes to call functional fixedness yes <laughs> um I, like 
in live sound, especially like when I started, I wasn't, you know, and it's, it's unfair for sound engineers, um, versus lighting engineers, for instance, like, cause I, I, I ended up, you know, you start with these baby bands that are, you know, their first tour, mm-hmm. um, lighting engineers, when they start, like a band doesn't like get signed and say, you know what we need? We need a lighting engineer <laughs> or a lighting, a lighting person. They're right. not an engineer. Sorry. Um, so lighting people, their starting thing is like bands that are selling out, you know, 1500 cap rooms. Right. A sound engineer starts out on, you know, the middle slot on a two to 300 cap, uh, tour. So my first tour was with the band called the little ones. We were, um, main support for a band called French kicks. And it was like, you know, no sound checks every night because there's, you know, the headliner and then the opener would check and we're the middle band. So (laughs) opener, the local opener would play and then we'd go out there and throw our stuff on stage and you have one song to dial in the, the sound. Um, and I remember like right after that tour, we went to South by Southwest and we get in there and the, it's at the red eye fly in Austin and it, uh, in the middle of the show, the PA starts cutting out because oh, it's you know all the gear in Austin is rented. There's no decent equipment, and oh, the geez. PA just keeps dying. No decent so equipment. So I ended there's, up there's South by Southwest every year. Like, how can there not be good rental gear? Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> it all costs money. I guess. Um, so and we're you know this is like a day party at some bar because you know it's not. South by it's every bar turns into a venue. Every church turns into a venue. Right. Um, every barbershop turns into a venue. <laughs> um, so I ended up, you know, like digging through my bag and found enough adapters to turn the keyboard players twin reverb into the PA essentially, what? <laughs> you know, and that's and amazing. I, Cause I moved the, the roads into the, you know, the normal side and then I use the reverb vibrato side to plug a SM58 into and get that <laughs> with a little bit of reverb and right, crank, you know, it's right. a twin, so yeah. it's loud as hell. <laughs> and I just brought it up to the point of feedback and then backed it off a bit. Nice. And the show went on, you know? Um, <laughs> and like, awesome. sure, it didn't sound great, but, um, but you, made you know, it work. if you go into things like that with a low functional fixedness, it's like, well, yeah, it's a, it's a guitar amp, but... Plug a vocal into it and see how it sounds. Right, right. Nice. Um, That's awesome. So I feel like I carry that into my studio work of, you know, I don't, if if something's happening and the vocal mic, or not the vocal mic, because that, that is a showstopper, but, yeah. um, you know, one mic on the drum set starts crackling. Mm-hmm. Do you want to stop everything and spend 10 minutes figuring out how to fix it? Or do you just want to move on and keep the creativity flowing? Um, exactly. And, and and not even let the artist know, oh, well, the mono overhead died on this song. Right. Because how much are they going to notice? Exactly. Just turn up the stereo overheads or, you yeah. know, just turn up the kick and snare and that's, that's it. Exactly. And that honestly ties a lot into mixing too. You know, I'm doing a lot more mixing nowadays and, you know, I'll get files that, honestly have like redundant stuff in there and 
I'll just mute it or throw it away if I don't need it. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's all good, you know, or something that's crapped, you know, crapped out on one side or something, you know, it's the same concept, you know, you make, you make do with what you got and do the best thing you can, you know, and often, you know, the artist or client doesn't even know half the time because you make it sound great, you know, so it's, it doesn't matter, you know. This, this leads perfectly into one of my mixing pet peeves uh-huh. is when I get tracks from a client and you have six guitar tracks yeah, and each guitar track has five mics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, it's cool. I like, I love putting up a ton of mics. Mm-hmm. You've. Brendan, you and I have worked many sessions together, yes. and you've seen me put up a ton of mics. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, we filled up that 80-channel uh, Neve yeah. East West. Yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> and more. <laughs> with help and a couple and a couple drum kits. Right. But, that's true. Um, but anyways, like, that's just like, I'll put up a ton of mics, but I bust them all to one or two EQs and compressors, and that's your guitar sound. Right. Like, it, it you know so like when I'm mixing and I get that I go through and I solo each track, and I either quickly decide on a blend, and commit that, mm-hmm. or I'll just pick one mic and say this mic sounds fantastic, <laughs> and yeah. get rid of the rest. Exactly. Um, you know, and then in the long run, the the client might ask like, so what what mics did you end up using? Oh, the fifty seven. Right. <laughs> 57 sounded perfect. Yep. <laughs> what about the other ones? Oh, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't use them. Right. They didn't work. <laughs> or, or, oh, what was the blend on this? You know, I have, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, two weeks ago, I combined those and turned it into a stereo track. Right, right. <laughs> so what, um, I mean, focusing more on the production side, I know you're doing a little bit of that more. Mm-hmm. How do you work with artists to, you know, to focus on their unique vision for the for the project? I well, first off, I don't know when I when I first get a client that I'm producing, and I tend to do a lot more like co-productions. Okay, because I don't know. I feel like the when you think of like producer these days, so much of it is like the track guy or the like. Uh, uh, an artist who comes to a producer and the producer makes the whole song right. really. And the yes. singer just sings it, yes. which is definitely not my vibe. Right. Um, I've, I've worked with those guys. People that do that are fantastic at what they do for mm. the most part. Um, I tend to be more of the, uh, the, you know, the, the guy who's just constantly giving feedback of why don't you try this? Like, you know, if, right. if we, if we like, I know you're in love with one guitar, but maybe the chorus could be a second guitar, and they could go wide. Right. Um, you know, Little forming things. forming the demo into a more complete song. You exactly. know, a, a production. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel more like a partner than a a boss sort of thing. Right. Um, I'm the of, same way. I mean, I don't I don't produce a lot, but when i do it's that same thing yeah it's because ultimately it's it's the artist's vision mm-hmm. you know and it, i i almost feel like a a sherpa like an audio sherpa almost of like i'm here <laughs> to 
to show you the way of the studio. Like these are the things that this room can do. Um, right. You know, I've been working a lot with a client who really started as like uh, an Ableton guy and mm -hmm. he would make all his own beats and his own tracks and he's an amazing musician. Um, but really hasn't spent a lot of time in classic studios. And so there was a lot of like, dude, check this out. Look at what this box can do. Right. You know, or like, have you ever seen tape flanging before? Try this, <laughs> turn this knob. Yeah. You know, and it's a lot of like, whoa, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> or like, you know, a reverb chamber. Um, yeah. So there's like, I, I feel like it's a lot of that, of just like showing them. Um, I mean, wasn't it, it uh, uh, Brian Wilson who used to say he plays the studio? Right. You know, like he brings everyone together and shows them how to make this room into a song. Exactly. Um, which if I could achieve that one day, then my life would be complete. But <laughs> until, until I can, I'll, I'll be here. Just, just engineering. <laughs> oh, good. So that, I mean, that a little bit ties into my next question is, you know, we both have have been fortunate to work in amazing studios in L.A. Uh, what do you do when you have a, a project that's, you know, a slightly smaller budget where you have to work in a subpar studio? What what considerations do you take? Um, You know, I, I end up, you know, a lot of it is, the room, like, especially if you're doing drums, it's figuring out like, okay, well, the room sound is going to be an issue on these drums. So how right. can we best treat this room? Um, you know, a lot of like smart placement of gobos, if those are available or packing blankets, yeah. you know, to maybe deaden down some of the walls uh, to deal with cymbal splash. You know, these days a lot can be done with really good plugins yeah you know you mean like recreating uh, sounds or fixing well, problems I'll, I'll get to that as well but okay. <laughs> i mean just like fixing cymbals you know like when when you record drums and the cymbals are in every single mic right. and they're all harsh um oak sound soothe can yeah. really do a lot to tame that um you know even in a room that doesn't have a great room sound and this was actually one that I, I, I got off you. I mean, which I think yeah. isn't a huge secret in the, uh, um, in the recording community, but putting reverb on the room mics instead of putting reverb on the closer mics. Right. Because the room mics, I think we were doing a string date and you were like, no, 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 no. don't put the chamber on the, the close mics, right. put them on the far mics. Right, right. Because they already have that air around them, mm -hmm. and then you can just add a little ambience. Right. So in the in the the smaller studios, if I'm trying to get like a decent room sound, room mics, and then Oceanway room, of course. <laughs> which there's like the only my my one beef with that, which I mean isn't even a beef, mm -hmm. because there's there is no small room at uh, at United. Right. Um. But I'd love another ocean, like another UAD plugin like that, that models a room that has like a real tight room. Right. That's true. I mean, you can sort of do it by moving the mics on that a little closer. Yeah. You can kind of do that. But I've, I've had mixed results with that. Like, it really depends on, you know, the source material and 
how much you can really do because I've tried to, I've tried to create those, those rooms, you know, with that plugin and, you know, I sent it to the client and they're like, this is, there's too much weird ambience. Like, I'm sorry. I recorded my drums yeah. poorly. Like, Oh, sorry. Like it's not actually your, your <laughs> drums. I was trying to improve them, but you know, yeah. Well, or it's, uh, you know, maybe the sound that they had was what they were going for. Exactly. You know, that's and really, they wanted it to be tight. Yes, exactly. And that's, so, that's well, actually, that, that also, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I was just going to say that ties into like, so often now the, uh, mixing process, like it's, it's hard to gauge a lot of times with clients if they want things to be the same, mm -hmm. just mixed better or different, exactly. you know, and you might mix something the same, but just clean, you know, like removing the harsh frequencies and adding a little more dynamics right. or removing a little dynamics, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and you get a look of like, do you, could you, could you, could you go a little further? Like, this is cool, but like, it sounds pretty much like what I got already or the flip side of you do this huge mix and they were like well we were pretty happy with what we had like we just needed like exactly. another 10 percent yeah exactly and I've, it's figuring out what it is they're looking for is always the key exactly when i am mixing for people it's always that's one of my most important conversations i have is trying to get a gauge on how much they like their rough mix. Yeah. I feel like nowadays, and maybe it's just as, as people, I mean, you can't even say get more used to the DAW because the, the DAW has been a thing now for 20 years, but, right? um, or like heavily used thing. Um, people maybe are just getting better at their own mixes or more confident with their own mixes mm -hmm. and going down that whole road of mixing themselves that by the time they hand it to a mixer, they're like, I'm happy with this. Like, this is cool. Like I said, just the last 10%. Exactly. But I don't know. I feel like when I am sending things to a mixer, I feel like I've pulled my hair out trying to do everything I can to get it to where it is. And I want to hear someone like take this thing and like shoot it over the moon. Right. Um, right. Or like take it apart and destruct it and do something with it. Sometimes that is the right thing to do too. Like people, you know, mm -hmm. they, they are very clear like, hey, my rough mix is to be desired. Like I really want you to have fun with it and do whatever you want. And then, you know, yeah, absolutely. Change it drastically. Do all sorts of things. And they love it, you know. So it really is about mm -hmm. figuring out how much they how much they want to change it, you know. Yeah. I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free guide detailing my techniques for recording huge snare sounds. Check it out now at brandondecora.com/huge-snare. And now back to the show. I want to go over if you can talk about it any current or recent projects you want to highlight um yeah let's see what can i highlight um last year i did a series of live albums uh with the band greta van fleet 
Oh, nice. That was kind of a fun experience. Um, I went on the road with them, which it, it was kind of cool because it was like back to my roots of of live sound. Yeah. And, um, it was cool getting to go on the road, be on the stage, be around the fans, which although at the time, I mean, it was like weird being around the fans because it was like <laughs> still in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, dang. <laughs> um, or I mean, you know, it was it was like as things were opening up, like I had gotten my first shot right, you know, right. when, <laughs> when, when things started. Um and but so that was that was weird, but it was also like great to be back with people and um, right, of course. And then just like you know, again the the immediacy of of the live album, um, right. So that was really cool getting to do that. And what was the spent, process on it? Was it like a big big enough shows where you were in a truck, or was it? How did you record it? Well, so um, that. I was not in a truck for that. I had my okay. own console, um, and it was actually pretty cool. We So the front of house, Monitors is on a Digico, so they have an analog split at Monitor World. Okay. Um, and then front of house and Monitors each have their own stage box. Um, the front of house was on the Avid S6L. Okay. And um, so I took a... Sp- uh, well, so you, you have two options, basically. The S6L, the stage box has a MADI output. So right. you could just take two MADI lines right into your, um, you know, a, a, right. a MADI, uh, HD MADI. Mm-hmm. Um, or what we ended up doing, because there the, there's a lot of things that don't translate well into a recording, one of which is undermount cymbals. Like uh, uh-huh. undermiked cymbals, right. which I get in a live setting, um, because the whole thing from a live engineer's perspective, they're trying to minimize bleed and crosstalk between right. instruments. Yeah, with you know 120 dB of PA blasting <laughs> exactly. at you, and you're on the back side of it, exactly. so you just get this woof. Yeah, so. The front of house, their front of house guy puts uh, a mic underneath each symbol, which when I go and start mixing, it's just like the worst thing that you've ever heard <laughs> on a record. So, uh, so anyway, so we go through and like, I looked at their input list and was like, all right, these are all cool. Um, these inputs are all great, but for the drums, all they had was a single, uh, uh, what is the, the little, uh, PZM kick drum mic. Oh, right. Um, Beta 98, beta mm-hmm. 91 or yeah, something like 91, that. Yeah, 91, I think, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, that was their kick drum mic. Um, and I was going for a, a different kick drum sound. Right. Um, so I brought, and it's, of course, a closed kick drum. So I had, at the time, I was working a lot with the the company Soyez. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had given me a, a big package of microphones for this so i had one of their bomblets on the outside of the kick and then i put like a d12 on the beater side nice and those both fed my own stage box okay and then i had over a mono overhead which was like their soyez uh 012 i think it is Mm -hmm. uh 012 i think that's the one no the 013 okay so those were my stereo overheads okay um, 
And then the mono uh, tube mic, uh, 017 is their uh, like flagship large diaphragm tube condenser. So right. I had that as a, as a mono overhead. Um, and then I did a couple like on the guitars, he had all condensers. There's four guitar amps on stage for them. Huh. And he had all KSM 32s. Okay. Um, and then I did uh, a, like, he has two combo amps and two 412s. The combo amps, I had um, those Shure um, KSM 120, no, not 121s, like 323s, 232s, the oh, little yeah. Uh, ribbons. Yeah, yeah, those are cool. Um, they were like Headley and Bennett, I think, and then Sure bought them. I want to say, right? Yeah. Did I get? The, did I just name a? a, uh, a <laughs> I don't know if it was Headley and Bennett. I just I just named an apron company. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Yeah, they bought another company. <laughs> well, I don't remember the company either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they bought. Yeah. yeah, so really cool ribbon mics. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I had on the four twelves. I had just the standard fifty seven Royer one twenty one right. combo. Cool. And so all of that stuff I had hitting a second. He, so the front of house had a sixty four channel stage box. I had a 32 channel stage box. Mm -hmm. So then I could, well, and then the way we connected them all was um, with uh, the Avid S6L system, you can just make a, like a ring. It's, it's all AVB, so it's all ethernet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you go out of the front of house console into the first stage box, out of the first stage box into the second stage box, out of the second stage box, into my console and then out of my console back to front of house. Oh, wow. The idea being if any of those cables gets cut or disconnected or unplugged, right. it's a redundancy the system thing. just auto corrects. So That's you always crazy. have, you always have at least one path to the stage box unless both channels get cut, in which case you yeah. got major problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's cool because it does gain sharing as well. So, the way we were set up, front of house had control of all the inputs on stage box A, which mm -hmm. was his 64 channel stage box. And then I had head amp control of stage box B. But then if he were to, in the middle of the show, gain up or gain down one of the inputs, mm -hmm. my console would auto like apply digital trim to keep my oh, gain exactly the same. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so that was pretty cool. Huh. Um, nice. And then from there, uh, in I would always end up just setting up in like an extra green room or, you know, at right. the Greek, I was down in the basement in like their <laughs> storage room. It looked okay. like a dungeon down there. <laughs> um, one, when I was in Chicago, it was an outdoor stage. There was nowhere for me to go. Right. So I ended up, and then it also started to rain. Oh, so geez. I ended up in, in a box or in the back of a big rig, okay. um, you know, just a, a 53 foot trailer, right, right, which was fairly uncomfortable. And that show I was on in-ears. The other ones I had, you know, a proper monitor okay. set up. And did you, um, did you end up mixing all that too, or just recording? Yeah. Mixed it too. Nice. So awesome. and that was, and, and it was cool. We did, we ended up. Uh, you know, just for for the guys to feel confident with 
like knowing like, Hey, what we're doing tonight is going out on, on record. Right. <laughs> um, we did, everything was two nights except for Chicago, which was only one night, okay. but, um, all of the shows were two nights. So then in post I went through and selected the best bits from every night. Right. Nice. That's which cool. for the most part was whole takes. Yeah. Uh, some of it ended up being like, you know, the first half of the song from night one, because maybe they they kind of didn't didn't play the the beginning of the song amazingly. Right. But then the solo from night one was perfect. So then I'd cut the solo in okay. from night one and then go back to night two right, for the ending right. or, or whatever it was. You know, right. um, nice. I kind of there's there's a little bit of of no uh, like. You know, anything goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's studio not magic, like, just trying to make a fun record. Exactly. But I know that some people, you know, will do live albums and then like go into the studio later and overdub stuff that they yeah, messed yeah, up or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure they weren't doing any of that stuff. No. Yeah. No, no, no. That cool. was uh, nice. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, it was it was mostly comping, comping of nights and. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know we we did a lot of work in post but it was really more about the guitar sounds right and just because it's interesting how how different you uh i mean it makes sense but like how different you set up a guitar amp for a live thing versus a, a recording right um yeah there was in live, his amps were way wetter than anything I would have ever done oh, wow. in the studio. Huh. Um, so part of that, I part of my my setup, and this was just like for safety. Um, I recorded all the time. I had a dry DI that was okay. like his guitar right into a DI, and then into his rack mm-hmm. system. And then I had an, a stereo DI because he runs. That's why there's four amps. Uh, two oh, of them are the for the left setups. channel, and two are for the right channel. So nice. I took a stereo output of his effects mm-hmm. before um, the amps, and then out of that into his amps. Yeah, right, right. And then I had the amp sound. So then in post, like we were able to go in and like reamp things, right. put them like either dry before any of his pedals, and just so like I think everything. We reamped just through a straight, clean guitar sound. Right. I mean, overdriven, but still clean, just so to give it that, that the attack. Effects down a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And That's then cool. also, I, you know, I, I was at United for a little while. And, you know, of course, like all the guitars went to one of the chambers and then right. all the drums went to one of the plates. Of course. Um, which yeah you, know, you got to in a place like that. that it's yeah absolutely so but otherwise i really kept it in the box just because of the the size of the sessions i right. mean i had four shows that were each um two hours essentially wow so that's it was crazy. it was a massive project <laughs> yeah i'm sure <laughs> but it was fun <laughs> nice that's really cool the mastering engineer because it, it was also i guess i don't know if i said this it was um a vinyl exclusive for their uh, okay. fan fan club okay and um it was only released on vinyl oh wow so i had to cut those records down to fit onto right. uh, <laughs> four sides of an album right. which was crazy. also uh, a task because yeah. 
you know, they say you shouldn't go over 20 minutes on a side. And that's even pushing it. Like the mastering engineer I went to, who was fantastic and worked so hard for me. (laughs) He, uh, Eric Belanger, that's it. um, Okay. At the bakery mastering. Oh yeah. Nice. I, I talked to him before mixing all of this stuff and he was like, yeah, well you can do it. But I mean, like, you know, 20 minutes is really what you want to do 20. And I was like, what about 26 minutes? Can we do 26 minutes? (laughs) And he was like, beforehand he was like man i mean we'd have to like mix it quietly and you know make this consideration and that consideration but Mm -hmm. like you could fit 26 minutes on a side and then you know six months later i show up at his studio with 26 minute sides and he was like what do you do like this we (laughs) we can't do this and i was like man you said we could do it we can do this we we can make this happen right (laughs) and boy he made it happen nice he absolutely did it he does this like half speed mastering thing where his cutting lathe Mm. runs at you know 17 and whatever the math is yeah yeah um revolutions a minute Hmm. and then he he up sample he records everything in at 192 and then plays it back at 96 uh, right. so it's so it's half speed. it's playing back out of pro tools at half speed that's crazy um but <laughs> but you don't lose any quality right, right. um and it was cool it like huh. it, it just allows the cutting head that much more accuracy right right um nice and we did we had to cut the records quieter and we couldn't push a lot of bass but right you know it wasn't a modern rock record anyway yeah. so all good all good yeah nice so i i kind of have been wrapping up each podcast with kind of the same standard questions um mm-hmm. so i just want to go through those really quickly first one is what is your most influential teacher <sighs> my most influential teacher um I would say the eight eight years I spent working with Greg Kirsten. Fair. <laughs> uh, he was definitely <laughs> uh, boy. That was that was uh, the most I could learn as quickly as possible. Yeah. My first day working with him was with Gwen Stefani, <laughs> and then my second day working for him was with Beyonce. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then the third day, we started a record with Kelly Clarkson. Okay. Then. And, um, and, so that, that and it didn't slow down from there. <laughs> jeez. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was like, you know, Sia Records. Who, and Sia is fantastic, mm-hmm. but the fastest person I've ever worked with. Dang. You know, where like, if, if you're not hitting record before the door closes behind her, <laughs> you're, you're too slow. Right. Jeez. Um, oh, so, yeah, my time there, like, I mean, I had a ton of amazing teachers uh, in my time mm-hmm. through recording school school um and all that but but just like learning how to make records was my time with greg right absolutely nice so the next one is uh what is your favorite reference track if you're going to a new studio and you want to check the room out or even if you're trying to pull up a mix reference is there one particular track you always go for um i'm let's see i have to look it up because i always forget the names of songs (laughs) um i've especially for like setting the low end like getting getting subwoofers right um set up correctly in the studio i listened to this m83 record called junk okay which i think was actually partially recorded east west okay um and 
I always go to BB the Dog, which is track four, or Moon Crystal, which is track five. Okay. Um, just solid, great mixes. Nice. Um, and then I also, uh, for something a little, uh, a little uh, less electronic, um, Beck Sea Change. Right. Which I always go for, uh, let's see, end of the day. Okay. Which again is just, I'm sorry, I'm pulling it up in my headphones here. That's okay. Um, a nice solid kick. Um, it's got shakers on the sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just one of those like, I, I know how it should sound. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. With all of those, it's, it's just like, I, I know what they sound like in my room. And mm-hmm. I try to get them to sound the same wherever I am. You know, right. it, it's a matter of, you know, if the speakers are way off, it's a matter of, you know, putting putting EQ on your speakers to right. get them sound right, right. Um, or getting the alignment right of the subwoofer or the crossover exactly. or, you know, whatever it is you can do. For sure. And last question is, what would be one tidbit for an upcoming engineer? Listen to what you're going to record in the live room <laughs> in before the live room. you go into the yeah. control room. <laughs> um, that's that's something one. I didn't do for a long time because, you know, you'll put a mic up or, a, you know, recording drums. You'll put a bunch of mics up and mm-hmm. then you go into the control room and you just start tweaking and tweaking and tweaking saying like, oh, right. it's, there's like this resonance or this thing or that mm-hmm. thing or there's no punch to the kick. Right. And then you go in and you listen to the drums. And you're like, "Hey, you know what? There's no punch to the kick in here." <laughs> you know, like if 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 or or whatever it is. Like, um, I was doing a session last last week where I couldn't figure out like there's just this like low end energy that is just muddying up all of the drums. Mm-hmm. And I went in and listened, and of course it's it's in we're in a small tight booth getting like a kind of '70s sound, right? And you want it to be real tight and punchy. Mm-hmm. And the floor tom is just singing. Because <laughs> every geez. hit, kick and snare, the floor resonating. is just... Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I just pulled the tom out. I said, you know what? Right. Luckily, I, I mean, this. It, you know, you can't do this with every session. But this right. one, I said, can you just play the rack tom? And he was like, oh, I'm not even playing. This is just kick, snare, hat. I said, perfect. So I pulled all the drums out. Just, nice. just left them in there with nice. the kick and snare. It's a, I mean, that's a common um, thing. Like I, I say the same thing, you know, listen to the instrument before you ever even put a mic on it. And people look at me like I'm crazy and stupid, but it's like, it's so often that people forget that, you know, as an engineer, mm-hmm. it really is easy to place the mic and then go in the control room and start tweaking, yeah. you know? So right. it's, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really glad or that you said that. Put your ear where you're going to put the mic, exactly. like on an acoustic. Like, does exactly. it sound good over here or over there? Yeah. Listen to the room. Um, listen to what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, awesome, man. It was it was really great talking to you. I'm I'm happy to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the show. As you know, I'm just getting this started, and I'd love your feedback on how I'm doing. If I should keep this going what your thoughts are. Feel free to visit ProAudioProfiles.com and send me a message. Until next time.